Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Me too. I skipped over the end of Genesis 21. It's pretty simple. Abraham and Abimelech have a treaty. I don't have much you can preach on that, so we're moving straight on to Genesis chapter 22. And as we look at Genesis 22, I don't know if I'm the only one who's ever had one of these crazy dreams. So let me ask you if you've ever had one of these crazy dreams. It's the kind of dream where you're, you're late for school, you're either in high school or you're in college and you're late, and you realize there's this big test, and you haven't studied for the test, and if you don't pass the test, you fail and you don't graduate. Anybody ever had that crazy dream? And then you're panicking, and you're sweating in your sleep, and you're, you're all anxious because there's this test, and I haven't, I haven't studied for it, and you get all stressed out, and it becomes a nightmare. It's no longer a dream, it's a nightmare. And then you wake up in a cold sweat... And you pinch yourself and you realize, wait a minute, I did graduate from high school. Wait a minute, I did graduate from college. Wait a minute, it was just a dream. There's no such, there was no test after all. Whew, thank you, Lord. No heart attack. There there wasn't that test I was so stressed out about. It was just a dream. But for Abraham, he's about to face the greatest test of his life up to this point. And for him, it's not a dream. For him, it becomes a nightmare of epic proportions. God's been faithful to Abraham over the past few decades. We've been looking here at the life of Abraham. God has blessed him. God has given him flocks, and God has given him herds, and God has given him gold and silver, and God has blessed him upon blessing. And as we saw last week, God finally came through and Isaac was born to Abraham and Sarah. The miraculous birth of this one and only son, Isaac, the son of the promise, the son through whom the nations would be blessed. And this couple's been through a lot. And finally their son is born. And and, and Abraham's at the end of his life. And sometimes we think, senior adults, let me talk to you for just a moment. I'm not there yet. I, I may get there eventually, but not right now. Sometimes we think, towards the end of our lives, God gives us a free pass because we've paid our dues. It could be that towards the very end of our lives, God may give us a test. God may do something in our lives to shape us, to mold us, because we've matured in our faith. And that's exactly what's happening here to Abraham. We think maybe Abraham deserves a break. I mean, life has been good for Abraham. All these things that he's gone through, now finally his son is born. Why can't he and Sarah just relax in their tent with their newborn son and everything's just A-OK, right? Just coast until he dies. But God in his sovereignty has other plans for Abraham. So let's read this exciting story. This is my favorite passage of Scripture in Genesis. I love this passage of Scripture. We're going to relish it this morning. We're going to enjoy it this morning. We're going to dive into all the depth, the drama, and the theology that this chapter has to offer us. So let's just dive right in. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham 
and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering. And he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and he laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you've not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sands that's on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Here's the main idea from this text. Very simple, but yet profound. It's simply this. Authentic faith, true faith, authentic faith, genuine faith, trusts in God's provision of a sacrificial substitute. And what I want us to do this morning is I want to explore three things about this passage of Scripture. The first thing I want to do is I just want to look at the Scripture itself and just navigate us through the text. Look at the test. This is a test. The second thing I want to do is I want to go to the book of Hebrews and show you how the writer of Hebrews gives a commentary on Abraham's faith. And then thirdly for this morning, I want to just laser point it to us. How does this apply to us? What's the application for us this morning? So let's first of all look just at the amazing test itself this is a test after these things god tested abraham now how many of you here love pop quizzes nobody hopefully is raising their hands nobody loves to be tested 
But this is a test. And life had been good for Abraham up to this point. I mean, things had been going well. Isaac is born. Isaac, as we saw a few weeks ago, had gotten three years old. He'd been weaned off his mother. They threw a big party. The plan was going very nicely. God had given him the son of the promise. The nation of Israel would soon be born through, through his son, Jacob. Everything was going great until God called Abraham to do the unthinkable. And this, this story has shocked people throughout the ages. Why in the world would God call Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son? the son that he loves. Now, we know it's not Abraham's only son. He had Ishmael. But it's the son of the promise. It's the son through whom the nations would be blessed, Isaac. And God says to Abraham, go. Go to this mountain. You'll know the mountain when you get there. Isn't that just like God? He's done that with Abraham from the very beginning. Back in Genesis chapter 12, God said to Abraham, get up, pack up, and go to the place I'm going to show you. And when you get there, you'll know. He says the same thing here to Abraham. The details are cryptic. The details are mysterious. Get up and go. A three-day journey to this mountain. And when you get there, you'll know what you're supposed to do. You're to sacrifice your son. And think about Abraham's response. Look at what it said, verse 3. Abraham rose early in the morning. He rose early in the morning. Abraham didn't sleep in. Abraham didn't just have a family meeting with Sarah. He didn't negotiate with God. He didn't mull it over in his head. He woke up early in the morning to head out on that three-day journey to sacrifice his son. Now, that's active obedience. That's immediate obedience. That is strong obedience. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't linger. And then it says he cuts the wood. Now, you guys that have cut wood before, you, you know kind of it's painstaking. You, you take the, the axe and you, you chop the wood. And I'm sure every time Abraham's chopping that wood, he's thinking, this is the wood that's going to be used to kill my son. And it probably wasn't, the text doesn't tell us, but I'm sure Isaac probably came out and saw his dad chopping wood and maybe he wanted to help. Hey, Dad, what are we doing? Are we going on a camping trip? What's going on, Dad? He cuts the wood. And then they set out for the place. The place. Five times it's just called the place. This mysterious place, Mount Moriah. Now, where's Mount Moriah? We find out later on in the Bible that it's a famous mountain. It's the place where God appeared to David to build the temple. It's the later site of the Temple Mount. Some scholars believe it may even be where Calvary was. We really don't know. It's mysterious. But the name Moriah is very important. The name Moriah means God shows up. It's where the Lord shows up. It's a very fitting name that Mount Moriah means this is where God is going to show himself. This is where God's going to show up. And it's a three-day journey. It's a three-day journey to this, to this mountain. And I'm sure if you're Abraham, you're thinking to yourself the whole time, I'm going to go on this three-day journey with the sole purpose of sacrificing my son. And my son has no clue as to what's going on. Why can't God, why does God make me wait three days? I mean, the pain... The sorrow, the angst that Abraham would have felt on this three-day journey. The worst is yet to come. And he lifts up his eyes, and they get there. Verse 4, on the third day, 
Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. He took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went, both of them, together. He takes the wood that he had chopped, and he places it on Isaac's back. And Isaac carries this wood up the mountain. Now, some of you may be asking, well, how old was Isaac? There's a debate out there as to far as, some say he was probably nine years old, all the way up to his mid-20s. My personal opinion is he's a young teenager, maybe 11, 12, 13 Old enough to carry wood on his back, but still young enough not to overpower his dad. Because as we'll see in just a moment, what happens. And then Abraham has in his hand a fire pot to keep the fire stirring so that he can actually light the fire. And in his other hand, he, he holds the knife. The knife that he's going to use to slit the throat of his son. Now, now think about the pain that's going through Abraham's mind here. He's climbing this mountain with his son, with the wood on his back, and he's got the knife in his hand, knowing that eventually he's going to have to plunge that knife into his, to his, his son's throat. And then there's that, that ominous term there. Notice what it says there at the end of verse 6. So they went, both of them, together. They went together as father and son. Under normal circumstances, this would have been a fun trip. Hey, Dad, it's a camping trip. Let's go up in the mountains. Let's cut some wood. Let's, let's make a campfire. Under normal circumstances, this would be an awesome time of a father and a son enjoying a camping trip up the mountain. But this is the last time the two of them would be together. The son that Abraham had been waiting for all these years, the one that was miraculously born to Sarah in her old age, the son of the promise, is now going to be sacrificed. And then the, the young boy's kind of naive, but he asks a very profound question. Hey, Dad, I've got wood on my back. I see you got a knife, got fire. Where's the sacrifice? Stinging words to his dad. If you're a dad, how are you going to answer your son? Well, you know, he's the one that's going to be sacrificed. The innocent boy. Dad, where's the sacrifice? Notice what Abraham says. Verse 8. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And they finally reach the top of the mountain. And then the details almost seem to go into slow motion. Abraham builds the altar. I'm sure you have this old man scurrying around to try to find the rocks to place together to lay Isaac upon. And, it, and the text doesn't tell us, but I'm sure Isaac helped him gather the, the rocks. And then he binds Isaac on the altar. Nowhere in the Old Testament does it ever speak of animals being bound by their hands and feet, but the amazing thing about it is that Isaac does not protest. Isaac does not fight his dad. Isaac willingly submits himself to be sacrificed on this altar. Abraham binds him. And it's the moment of truth. It's that moment that Abraham's dreading, but he obeys to the very end. He takes the knife. And who knows, maybe the knife caught the sun and the sun 
shone upon the blade and, and kind of made him squint and maybe think twice about what he's doing. But it's no turning back for Abraham. He takes the knife, and in the very moment of slitting his son's throat, the voice comes from heaven. God intervenes. Notice verse 10. Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you've not withheld your son, your only son, from me. This is ultimate faith in action. And God intervenes and says, Abraham, Abraham. And what is his answer? Here I am. Now, the language here in in Genesis is very interesting. The wording, there's a play on words that's used in the original language. It's It's the Hebrew word raha. It can mean three things. It can mean to see, to see to it, or to provide. What does God say here? Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you've not withheld your son from me. God sees Abraham's faith. Now, it wasn't that God didn't see it because he was not all-knowing. In the sense of the test that God had given Abraham, he passes with flying colors. God sees that Abraham passed the test. But the word also means to provide or to see to it. So look at verse 13. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. The Lord will see. The Lord will see to it. Does the Lord see or does the Lord provide? And the answer is yes. There's a double meaning there. The Lord sees Abraham's faith, but the Lord sees to it that he will provide. Now, what does Mount Moriah mean? The Lord shows up. The Lord provides, the Lord sees, the Lord shows up. He's revealed. God shows up at just the right time and provides a substitute, provides a ram in the thicket. Isaac is spared. Abraham and Isaac come back down the mountain. Story's over. That's the test. That's the amazing test, the faith of Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. But the New Testament gives some more details about this. So the second thing I want us to do this morning is I want to see the authentic faith of Abraham in action. The way the writer of Hebrews tells us he did this. So Hebrews 11, 17 through 19, the writer gives a commentary. The writer gives a snapshot. The writer gives an explanation about this event. And so we have a New Testament explanation of an Old Testament event. So we just saw the event. We saw it happen. We saw it unfold before us in the dramatic fashion in which it unfolded. Now the writer of Hebrews is going to tell us, okay, here's what it means. Here's what happened. Let me give you a little bit further explanation in the New Testament. So Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, we just saw that, Genesis 22, he was tested, he offered up Isaac. 
And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered, now pay attention to that word, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now, the writer of Hebrews tells us two things about Abraham's faith. Here's the first thing he tells us, and we just saw it. He says, authentic faith sacrifices all for the glory of Christ. Authentic faith sacrifices all for the glory of, uh, of Christ. That's what that Hebrews passage. By faith, acting on the basis of faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac on the altar. It was the act of faith. And it's, it's interesting the way that the writer of Hebrews uses language. You have to pay very close attention to the Greek New Testament when we get to this passage in Hebrews. When the writer says he offered up Isaac, it's in a tense that means a powerful, poignant, almost sacrificial, otherworldly type of faith. Abraham offered. Abraham sacrificed. Abraham powerfully demonstrated amazing faith in the offering up of Isaac. It was a complete sacrifice. And we know that Abraham was willing to go all the way because the ESV here translates it pretty good. He says, when he was in the act of sacrificing his son. And I I can picture this in my mind. Can you not picture this story in your minds? I mean, you get to that point where Abraham, I mean, it's right there. I mean, it's just seconds away from slitting Isaac's throat. He's going to do it. He's going to follow through with it. He's going to obey God to the end, and then the angel says, stop. There was no turning back for Abraham. He was willing to go all the way with this sacrificial type of faith. And it's interesting, what is Isaac called? His one and only son. Does that sound familiar to you about another one and only son? What does God call Jesus? His one and only son famous, most famous passage of scripture, John 3, 16 says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I think the NIV says one and only son, his unique son, his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 1 John 4, 9 says in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So Jesus is the unique only son of the Father, and in the same way that that Abraham sacrificed his only son, God sacrificed his only son, Jesus. It was the ultimate sacrifice of Abraham. It didn't make sense logically. It was horrific. It was something that you would never even think of, to sacrifice your only son. So the first thing that the writer of Hebrews tells us about Abraham was that he went all the way. It was a sacrificial type of faith. He, he, he was willing to, to, to risk it all in faith and obedience to God. But the second thing that the writer of Hebrews tells us, it wasn't blind faith. It wasn't fatalistic faith. It was a faith that was based upon something. Here's the second thing that we see from Abraham. Authentic faith banks all on the character 
of God. In that Hebrews passage, what did, he say? what did it say? Abraham considered that God was able. Abraham considered. Now, the word considered there is a very important word. In the original language, it means to, to deliberate, to think about, to consider, to weigh the options, to truly think through. Abraham thought through. Abraham considered. Abraham realized. He came to that point of faith where he realized God is able. God is powerful. Now, this does not make sense. Why in the world would Abraham sacrifice Isaac? It doesn't make sense. The only reason that we can explain is that he knew deep in his heart through this consideration that God was able. God was able to do what? To bring Isaac back from the dead. What faith of Abraham? Resurrection had no place in the radar screen of the Old Testament people at that time. What was Abraham's faith? Abraham's faith was this. If I slit Isaac's throat, God will raise him from the dead. That was Abraham's faith. I want you to catch something in the text that maybe you didn't catch. Go back and look at verse 5. Genesis 22, verse 5. The writer of Hebrews says that by faith, Abraham considered that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did. Isaac didn't rise from the dead, but figuratively he did because in Abraham's mind, it was as if he was already dead in the first place because he was going to plunge that that knife into his throat. But look at verse 5. Did you catch it? It's a subtle hint. Look at Abraham's faith in verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Did you catch it? It's right there. Is Abraham just blowing smoke to these guys? Yeah, Isaac and I are going to come back down the mountain. What does Abraham believe? Abraham believes one of two things. Either God's going to show up at the last minute and provide, or I'm going to slit my son's throat and God's going to bring him back from the dead. Either way, we're both coming down this mountain. That's faith. That is the faith of a man that knew God was able. God was powerful. And he said it there in verse 8. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So Abraham knew God's character. So Abraham's faith had two facets to it. It was this sacrificial, going all the way faith. But it wasn't a blind faith. It was faith in God's character. I know that God is able. God is powerful. I've molded over. I've considered it. God has proved himself faithful to me. And so I know that even if I kill Isaac, God's going to bring him back from the dead. Listen to what Paul says about Abraham in Romans chapter 4. 17 through 18. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, speaking of Abraham, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. In hope, he believed against hope. So, we've seen two things this morning. We've seen the story unfold in all of its dramatic detail. 
And then we see what the writer of Hebrews tells us about Abraham's faith. But, but let's make this more personal. Let's thirdly this morning, let's look at the application for us today. And it brings up a very crucial point because up to this point, you may be thinking, whew, I'm sure glad that was Abraham and not me. God would never call me to go up and take my son and sacrifice him on a mountain and slit his throat. God would never ask me to do that. And in a way, yes, God's never going to ask you to do that because this is, you're not Abraham. You're not the father of many nations. You don't have the son of the promise Isaac. In redemptive history, this is a one-time event where God's not going to call you to go to Mount Moriah. God's not going to call you to sacrifice Isaac. That was a one-time thing that happened to Abraham and Isaac. But let me ask you a question. Will God call you to sacrifice something that's important to you for his glory? You better believe it. Will God ever call me to sacrifice what's most important to me? Well, let's let Jesus answer that. It's always good to have our Savior tell us the truth. Luke 14, 25 through 33. Listen to what Jesus says about sacrifice. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or, second illustration from Jesus, what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Radical! Hate your family? Hate your life, renounce your life, take up your cross, follow me. Jesus, you've got to be joking. Now, does Jesus really mean we're supposed to hate our families? No. It's hyperbole. It's, it's, it's exaggerated speech. What he's saying is that no human relationship should have priority over Christ. And Christ here is calling us to radical sacrifice. He says, if you truly want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to give up everything you have. You've got to renounce everything you have. You've got to take up your cross and follow me. You've got to have it all or nothing. It's got to be totally and supremely about me. And here's the problem with modern evangelicalism. I'm going to start to preach here for a moment. Most of the modern church will not call people to radical sacrifice because they're afraid of lowering the bar that Jesus has raised himself. Is Jesus mincing words here? No. Is he saying, I was just joking, it's not that radical? No. If Jesus calls you, he calls you to die to yourself, to take up your cross and follow him, and that may mean sacrificing a lot for the glory of Christ. But when it's Jesus that's calling you, you better obey because he's king of kings and lord of lords. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't lower the bar. Jesus says it's all or nothing. Follow me. No holds barred. Sacrifice all for the glory of Christ. Consider my power. Come and surrender your life to me. Give up all rights to your life and come and surrender your life to me. Sacrifice for me. Give up all for me. Give up what's most important for me. Now at this point, some of you here are going, amen, I want to be there. 
And some of you are going, oh, no, I don't want to be there. That's probably where most of us are, right? You mean Jesus is calling me to that kind of radical commitment? And some of you are like, I'm, I'm signing up. I'm ready to go. Let's go take the world for Jesus. I'm there. Others, you're like, I don't know if I'm ready to take that step of radical commitment. So some of you are either pumped and some of you are either deflated. And I want to talk to both of you this morning. And maybe you're in the middle. I want to give you words of hope and encouragement. For those of you that are prideful thinking, man, I can do this thing. And those of us that feel guilty thinking, I can't do this thing. Let me give you the hope of the gospel. Much of modern preaching fails because here's what a lot of modern preaching does. I call it the B sermons. Be a better Christian. Be a better prayer. Be a better witnesser. Be a better communicator. Be a better parent. Be a better father. Be a better mother. Be a better Christian. Be, be, be. You've got to do better. You've got, you've got to go out and be better. If all of you Christians just would leave this place and be better, the world would be better. So you've got to witness more. You've got to pray more. Just go out and be better. Now, is there some truth to that? Yes. But that's going to beat you up. Because what you're going to be thinking? I've got to somehow do something to pull myself up by my bootstraps to go out there and live for Jesus. Let me just give you the answer. The power for you and me to live for Christ, to sacrifice all for Christ, the power is in the cross. The power is in the gospel. The power comes from Jesus. And so we need a solid undergirding to the call to commitment. Yes, we're called to commitment. Yes, we're called to abandon all. Yes, we're called to radical sacrifice. But if we don't have the power of God through the Holy Spirit and the gospel, we're going to fail miserably so we need to have that power in the gospel and I want you to think about fixing your eyes on Jesus for a moment think about the parallels between Isaac and Jesus for a moment Isaac was born supernaturally at a birth that many people laughed at what was his name? laughter Jesus was born supernaturally of a virgin that many people laughed at Isaac had wood on his back that he carried up the mountain. Jesus had a cross on his back that he carried up a mountain. Both of them willingly went under the knife of their father to be sacrificed. But you see, Isaac came back down, prefiguring the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice verse 13 in our text. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Instead of his son. As a substitute for his son. In the place of his son. This is the first time in the Bible we have this real concept of a substitutionary atonement. The idea of one substituting for another. Isaac was spared that day. Who was killed instead of Isaac? A ram in the thicket. Isaac was spared. But God did not spare his own son. On the cross, Jesus was slaughtered. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world was slaughtered on the cross. And think about how the Father bound Jesus willingly on the cross and how Jesus willingly went to the cross and how that was the will of the Father to crush his son under the knife of crucifixion. Isaac was spared. Jesus was not. 
Listen to Tim Keller. He said, many years later, speaking of what we just saw, in those same mountains, another firstborn son was stretched out on wood to die. But here on Mount Calvary, when the beloved Son of God cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was no voice from heaven announcing deliverance. Instead, God the Father paid the price in silence. Why? The true substitute for Abraham's son was God's only son, Jesus, who died to bear our sins. Think about the joy Abraham would have heard in that moment. Don't do it, Abraham! Stop! And he turns around and sees a sacrifice. Jesus on the cross. He cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he doesn't hear. Behold, stop, look, there's a ram in the thicket. There's silence. There's darkness. Jesus is not spared that day. The knife of crucifixion plunges deeply into his body where he dies. In our place. As 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit. And think about the, impl- the amazing implications of Jesus not being spared. Why in the world would you go to your death for a world of sinners that hate you? for a world of sinners that stands against you, for a world of sinners that spit in your face. We were rebels, we were guilty, we were lost, we were spiritually blind, we were dead. We did not deserve for Jesus to go to the cross, but he went there willingly for us, did not, did not back down on behalf of us because he knew that the only way for us to be saved was through his death. Listen to the way Paul says it in Romans chapter 5. Verses 6 through 9. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. God. So how in the world do you live for Jesus in this radical commitment? You don't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You don't try harder. You don't try to look to other people. You don't do all this legalistic stuff. You look to Jesus. And when you look to the cross and when you look to Jesus, his power is more than enough to give you everything that you need for life and godliness. You have the power of the Holy Spirit in you. You've got the cross. You've got the death. You've got the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's changed your life. He's changed your heart. He's given you everything you need to live for him if you just keep your eyes fixed on him. Listen to what Paul says in Romans eight thirty two. He who did not spare his own son. Isaac was spared. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Powerful verse. Here's the point of this verse. Leave the verse up there for a moment. Leave the verse up there. What did God not do? God did not spare Jesus. So God killed Jesus in our place. He gave him up for us all. 
So what flows from the cross? What flows to us? What gift is given to us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? Paul says he will graciously give us what? You say it with me. Some things? All things. All things related to nuclear science? All things related to chemical biology? What's he saying here? Everything that you need to live the Christian life flow from the cross. Do you need grace? Do you need power? Do you need strength? Do you need stamina? Do you need patience? Do you need kindness? Do you need goodness? Do you need commitment? Do you need energy? Whatever it is you need in the Christian life, it flows from the cross because Christ was not spared. God can graciously give us all things through the power of the Holy Spirit. So every single Christian in this room can say today, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Everything I need has come to me in his power in the gospel. Now I can go out and live in the power of that. And when I fail, I know that there's forgiveness. And when I need strength, I know God gives it. And when I falter, and when I fail, and when I sink, I just keep looking to the cross and realize that Christ's arms are wide open, ready to pick me up and give me everything that I need. Because of his death, he's given us all things. So the question I have for you this morning, do you believe this? Are you trusting in God's provision of a sacrificial substitute? Are you believing that Jesus Christ died in our place, took the holy wrath of Almighty God so that you and I could be forgiven, we could be renewed, we could be cleansed, we could be made new and live eternally with him? And not only just a day in the future, but right now, today, he's given you everything you need. So let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. And I want us just to think deeply and praise God deeply that on that cross God did plunge his knife into Jesus. Abraham did not plunge his knife into Isaac. There was a sacrificial substitute in the ram. But on the cross God's knife of crucifixion pierced deeply into Jesus' body where he bled and he died, suffering in our place. God did not spare him so that through the cross we could have all things. So what do you need this morning? What's one of those all things that you need this morning? You can have it through the cross if you cry out to Jesus and ask him, Do you need strength this morning? Cry out for strength. Do you need hope this morning? Cry out for hope. Do you need patience? Do you need direction? Do you need energy? Do you need stamina? Do you need to be able to forgive someone? Whatever it is that you need, if you're a Christian here this morning, you can can cry out to King Jesus and he can give that to you. Now, if you're not a Christian here this morning, and you've not trusted in this, and you know that you're, you're not a Christian, you, you, your greatest need this morning is to be saved. So your greatest need this morning is to see your need for salvation and to realize that it was your sin that put Jesus Christ on the cross. And the reason he died was because you put him there in your sin. 
And you can be forgiven of that sin. You can be saved from that sin. You can be cleansed from that sin if you repent of that sin and believe in Jesus as the only way to save you. And when you do that for the very first time, then all these things will flow to you. But the first thing you've got to do is realize your need and cry out to Jesus to save you. So wherever you happen to be this morning in your life, I don't know where you're at. Would you take these moments just to cry out to Jesus? Maybe it's crying out and help me. Or maybe it's crying out, thank you. Or maybe it's crying out, I need you. However it is that you need to cry out to Jesus, cry out to him this morning, and you will find his arms open wide to receive you. Arms that were stretched out on a cross. Free. Come before you tonight, this morning, and we're so thankful that you did not spare Jesus. That you offered him up. That the knife of your justice came into Jesus when he died on the cross so that we would never have to experience that ourselves. We could be freed from that judgment that comes because of our sin. And Lord, my prayer this morning is that you would just minister to us in a very special way. And that spiritually and emotionally, maybe even physically this morning, needs would be met the power of Jesus Christ and his gospel. And we come before you today, Jesus, and we, we admit we're a needy people. We have needs. And we're not ashamed to come to you with our needs. Because we know that you are the ultimate need meter. So Holy Spirit, would you do a deep work of grace in people's hearts to show them hope, show them forgiveness that comes through Christ. Lord, maybe you're calling us to some type of radical obedience. Maybe you're calling us to a deeper phase of commitment and we're scared. We're not quite sure. Would you give us grace and give us hope and give us power and strength to obey like Abraham did? May we always keep our eyes upon you, Jesus. I want you to keep your heads bowed and this, this is going to kind of conclude our service this morning and I'll be here after the service to answer your questions if you have questions or if you need